Any luck finding a new place to live yet? Well, you know, in this market, it's actually very difficult to find good subterranean housing. Hey, we could always go back to the old sewer den. Well. Oh, yeah. Right, Raph? It's a little tough when about 500 members of the Foot Clan know where you live, you know? He's right. What? We kicked their butts. They're all in jail. Sides, we took out the shredder. So what's everybody so worried about anyway? Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 61 of Vague Zone. I am Daniel. I'm Thomas. And today we are discussing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Secret of the Ooze from 1991, directed by Michael Pressman. Uh, before we get into this conversation, Thomas, will you read for us the IMDb synopsis? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, this is uh, Secret of the Ooze, directed Michael Pressman. The turtles and the shredder battle once again, this time for the last canister of the ooze that created the turtles, with which Shredder wants to unleash an army of new mutants. Yeah, a bit of a spoiler that Shredder's back. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of a reveal. But uh, yeah. Thomas, what did you think of The Secret of the Is? This is your first time watching. so Yeah. <laughs> and before I watched it, I got some more uh, positive feedback from other friends of mine while talking. We were having a conversation while playing Quiplash. And I was like, yeah, I'm about to watch The Secret of the Ooze. And like, yeah, that's the best one. And so that was, that was like, <laughs> that was the general consensus wow. for me going into this. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I had a, a really good time watching this, uh, despite the, the there's this whole thing about okay they, like they don't use their weapons in this movie mm-hmm. and so the fights are a little bit different the flavor is a little bit more wacky a little bit more on the silly side it's a lot of just gags and things in in replacements but there's also like fist fights too to be fair so he just has a good like a lot of good kicks and yeah. like leg kicks and stuff but yeah overall it's like that didn't bother me at all it's like i think it's a, a brighter movie visually like i said my complaint of the first one was like it was a little too dark and it was a little too murky the turtles are kind of in the shadows a bit but here it's a little brighter we, they, they do the reveal of the title of the title card reveal they like are all jumping in action pose and yeah. like freeze frame and i was cool. like very was like, cool fucking go <laughs> like this is gonna be a, a good time it's gonna be a great time uh yeah i, I really enjoy Raphael's voice in this i feel like he's like one notch away from i'm walking here yeah like he's like he's like he's just very new yorker but i feel like they dialed in on all of their personalities a lot more and so yeah, I was like, I feel like I left this movie, uh, entered this movie without having any particular allegiance to any turtle, but now I left this movie being a Donatello fan. Interesting. That's who I align with now. What about uh, uh, Donatello was particularly striking for you in this movie? I like just, you know, him being like, okay, well, getting a little into spoiler territories for this, I guess this is a 30 year old movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <it's> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly how old we are. <laughs> or, uh, so I hold old I am um and so yeah this is uh fuck what's I saying uh yeah I I feel like I'm a Donatello fan because yeah he linked up with the professor towards the end of the movie this is going in the mild spoilers but yeah he's friends with him he does like this whole hacking scene in the middle science guy I was just like how is his fingers big enough to type on (laughs) a keyboard but he's the hacker smart guy yeah, I appreciate him teaming up with the scientists to sort of figure stuff out towards the end. And yeah, it was 
it was good. He, it's, it's fun. It's, it's a good movie. Solid movie. Definitely not as dark and mystical and violent as mm-hmm. the first one, but it's a, it's a good time. It's a good time. What do you think about it? Um, so before I get into my thoughts, I want to read this quote from the Charlie Kaufman movie adaptation where <laughs> the character Robert McKee, famous author and uh, story consultant, uh, Robert McKee, is giving Charlie Kaufman advice on writing his movie. He says, I'll tell you a secret. The last act makes the film. Wow them in the end, and you've got a hit. You can have flaws, problems, but wow them in the end, and you've got a hit. Yes. I feel like this movie, considering uh, its low, its poor critical reception, <laughs> I think this is kind of the opposite of that quote. <laughs> like this movie, I, I am not wowed in the end for this movie. Um, okay. I think this movie, like you can watch the first hour and then I, I'd be interested to show this to someone who enjoyed the first movie and hasn't seen this and doesn't know anything about this one. Pause it an hour of the way in and say like, how are things going? Like, are you having a good time? <laughs> because I think the first hour of this movie, it's mostly okay. Like, I, I, I'm not a fan that of it being brightened up. I think it uh, really reveals the flaws in these costumes. Yes, uh, I think the yeah. dark cinematography <laughs> was doing some heavy lifting to like really sell uh, these costumes. But yeah, and, and also I think the turtles, their teenage jokes are a little more annoying. They're kind of doing a lot of the same things from the first movie where it's like, one of them says righteous, and the other one says psychedelic, and they all just like go through saying different words. Uh, yeah, once yeah, again, yeah. we're getting Humphrey Bogart impressions. I don't know why it happened <laughs> in the first movie. <laughs> um, that's his thing. That's, but but that's, like that's Raphael's thing is he's just obsessed with film. <laughs> he's but, just like I don't know why. <laughs> but despite these flaws, I think it's mostly a pretty good movie for that first hour, uh, and it's like building the lore of these turtles and stuff. But then we get to the infamous Vanilla Ice sequence, and it is the craziest thing that has happened in a movie or outside of a movie. Uh, Like, it is wild. And uh, I think that, I I, I don't know. I I imagine that a lot of critics saw this, and once we get to that moment, it was just, well, what the fuck are we doing with our lives? Like, what what does all of this mean? And I remember as a kid, as a kid, I, I liked vanilla ice uh there is footage of me as a child dancing to ice ice baby <laughs> but i also remember I need this footage <laughs> i also remember when this movie ends so i'm just gonna spoil the ending whatever yeah. uh it ends with super shredder and he's fighting the turtles and he destroys this dock and it collapses on him and i remember being confused by that ending even as a kid because it wasn't satisfying the turtles did yeah. nothing to stop super shredder like the doc just fell apart i i remember being confused like what happened like what did that, the that is turtles a bummer. do here um so yeah i think the movie kind of falls apart in the end and i think it's what has quite quite literally it crumbles <laughs> yeah as it, the doc <laughs> it is what has sealed its fate as uh one of the lesser turtle movies from what i've seen i think it's really interesting that your friends say it's the best one yeah, yeah i don't know we were... I, I totally agree with what you say with like the like the end not being as strong um yeah it is incredibly bizarre like how like just this movie does some weird turns like, i think there's a beat in this movie where like the doctor's kind of explaining to master splinter like yeah like it's like kind of like a government experiment and the turtles are sort of realizing like like they're not like these superheroes like i think it's leonardo who he's like wait like we're not like I feel like there's like this moment where they realize they're sort of like 
accident sort of kind of or like they're like their their purpose like they don't really have like this uh, higher purpose yeah, so to speak. that's interesting i think I, yeah i think that's really great and yeah and yeah just the the big climax of this entire dance sequence at the end is incredibly i feel like it should be polarizing because yeah it's like movies ending with dance sequences or even like these 80s 90s movies sort of just ending on musical numbers or these big yeah. sort of productions it, it feels like okay yeah we don't know what to do we're just gonna kind of it's dance so it out bizarre. <laughs> tie, tie this and tie this into the soundtrack we'll see your butt in the store and so just just you know you're gonna be doing the dance and thinking about the song as opposed to thinking about the the plot of this movie and yeah i don't know I, i'm also kind of bummed that uh, we don't get a uh, casey jones that was the same yeah uh, who's our, we don't get him i think he would have fit in perfectly and nicely with the character Kino, because he's like this new like replacement, we get this little like badass kid. Also, I, I really like. What do you think about the intro of this movie? Like all of New York City. Oh, I love the intro. Pizza. I think the intro is fantastic. Of just yeah, New like you York say the first pizza, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. The first hour is really good, but then yeah, I think th- there are some <laughs> some rough points. I think the intro is like super clever and like one of the best parts of this movie. Uh, yeah. Just, like, in terms of, like, being a very clever way to start a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Um, I also wrote down a couple of my favorite jokes. Did you have favorite jokes in this? Uh, I think I do. Yeah, I didn't write them down, but I'm glad you asked because I just was partaking in some cannabis and re- re-watching this film. <laughs> uh, to sort of to really reanalyze what these turtles were standing out for. So, yeah, I do have a favorite joke. So, what, what's your favorite joke? <laughs> okay, so it's something you say you mentioned about like the, this whole thing where there's a kind of a chorus of what they're saying like, oh yeah like righteous but they are kind of like th- this whole like vocal gag there's one point where uh they're on top of the roof uh master splinter is explaining to them this uh this whole like tgri thing and how like yes yeah, yeah. like, our past is connected to our present and he's like getting super mystical about it and it's, it's a really solid scene and uh leonardo goes like uh after all these years and donatello goes after all this time <laughs> I, just, I don't know just like like them doing that little back and forth sort of works for me in in like that moment because instead of them just saying words that rhyme it's more like okay you're clearly clear, like you're doing like this rhythmic thing where it's like okay like you guys are sort of getting somewhat uh like poetic and like i don't know like philosophical with it a little bit and like yeah. in a way that's sort of like a little bit more silly than just saying like, like bodacious like uh yeah. or two, you know the, just like just surfer words i don't it's even think i picked fun. up on that yeah yeah but I, it was something I, I really didn't notice because i just was barely paying attention the first time so for the second time i was like yeah let me just like pay a little bit more attention because <laughs> the, the mystical martial arts part or aspect is a little bit more present in the first film yeah, and not as present right. in this one. And so this one, yeah, is more like, yeah, we're swinging sausage, uh, sausage links is nunchucks and yo-yos uh, and, and stuff. Yeah. Pretend, pretending to be like the, the floating, uh, uh, clown doll thing. And like, just, I don't know. So just, weird. There's some, yeah. There's <laughs> a lot much. of gags. Yeah, I don't know. And so like, I kind of got swept up into that. So I was like, yeah, this, this is, this is fun. This is entertaining, but I do see there are some, some parts where I'm like, yeah, like these decisions seem a little weird. I don't know. What do you think about the recasting of April? Do you think that's like, that, that's um, oh, I like bother it. you? No, like it? Uh, I think it's funny that the way she's introduced is literally she's walking on the street and a guy goes, I know you, you're April O'Neil. And it's yeah. like, we have to <laughs> clarify that there's been a recast. Uh, but no, I think yes. she does a good job. And like, um, I was reading some behind the scenes stuff and that like, 
they thought she had better chemistry with the turtles than the previous actress. And I don't know. I get it. Like she, she, like they, um, they wanted this to have more of a cartoon quality. And I think that's (laughs) kind of coming through here. It's definitely less, it's weird to say less adult than the first movie because it's fucking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. But no, um, you're right. You're right. But Absolutely. it's like you don't have like Casey Jones, who is like a weird, violent human. Uh, and you don't yeah. have like this romantic dynamic between, you know, with him and April. Uh, you're all the, you're also missing the darker cinematography, the use of weapons. So I think having this more bubbly April O'Neil, who is less sexualized, <laughs> is working towards the more kid friendly cartoonish aspect of it. And I think it works. Yeah, yeah. There's two things I want to mention uh, in reply to what you just said. So first thing, when uh, we first are introduced to uh, April O'Neil, uh, the woman that's with that man is uh, an actress named uh, Susie Esman, and so uh, Susie Esman shows up uh, quite a bit in Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is a show I brought up uh, pretty. But as soon as I saw her, I was just like, I recognize that face in the hair and the hat combination. I was just like, that is like, I don't know, just a, a really particularly New York actress. And so I'm, I'm happy she shows up in this uh, in this uh, strange yeah. turtle movie. Adding but, some um, more also, color to the DNA of this. Yeah, but also you, you mentioned like uh, Casey Jones being a quote unquote a violent human. And I remember like, yeah, visually in the first movie, he's like going around on with a hockey mask yeah. on and like this hockey stick. And I was like, it's like kind of like a, a Jason Voorhees like kind of an- analogy a little bit. It's just like, so yeah, we, we want the Jason thing, but we want it to be like kind of like sexy and cool. So I mean, like it's young dude, but yeah, it's like he's rolling around with a hockey stick. And yeah, it is yeah. weird that there's like this sexual aspect to it energy uh the way kino is introduced in this movie kino is kind of weird in this fucking movie (laughs) like the the way we get introduced to him is that like he like tries to flirt with these girls gets turned down and then calls him fat (laughs) and like (laughs) it's like this is how we're being introduced to this character like i want to hear but it's like it's pretty funny that like they did this obviously like poor (laughs) obviously misguided thing and at the beginning of this kid's movie um, yeah, and then later, like the other weird thing with him is that he knocks on April O'Neil's door and he's delivering a pizza, and she's like, "I didn't order pizza," and he's like, "Yeah, the guy down the hall ordered it, uh, but he didn't answer." And I figure you order pizza so much, why not bring it here? And then he just like w- lets himself in. into her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just he just walks in. <laughs> it's like, dude, yeah, this isn't okay, man. <laughs> yeah, that that tone is really really strange. Um, it, I'm happy you brought that up because there's a moment that i like kind of lingered on that i want to bring up to you is like when they're i think the turtles have they found like their old lair inside of like the sewer where it's like the train or whatever it's like the old train station or whatever it is so they find that so they're gonna move there so yeah (laughs) so the the turtles are packing up all their stuff and so um i think it's michelangelo goes to like this poster and takes this poster of like a, a girl in a bathing suit down and i was just like this is like you put that poster up in april's house and you're like that's like the thing that you're taking i think that's really funny and also it does confirm that like yes these turtles are sexually uh, they're sexually attracted to <laughs> yeah. human women and so like i don't know it's, it, it made me laugh for some reason I was just, yeah like like he's taking his belongings out of his house and one of that is just, like this, this sexy like poster of this girl and like in a bathing suit <laughs> it's like this is like in april's kitchen <laughs> there's also a scene like towards the end when they're at the vanilla ice show and they're work 
like after they like beat up a bunch of foot soldiers they like do their dance and then they're working their way through a crowd and this girl like follows i think mikey she like has a follow mikey and her boyfriend's like what the hell what the fuck like where you going <laughs> and so it's like mikey's gonna like cuck this dude and nice. <laughs> like it's yeah it's a weird thing to have in a movie <laughs> Yeah. Oh God, it's good. It's it's a good time. Okay. So, what do you think of our new mutant creatures that get introduced through the the course of the ooze falling in the hands of Shredder, and he uses it for nefarious means, and he uses it to to bring two creatures to to life, and uh, we get Toka the introduction. And Rezar, right? Yeah, Tokar and Razor. They appear in a dark shadow on the poster of this movie. Because, <laughs> some weird creatures in the background because i think so i remember as a kid also being confused by this because it's like one it's like wait a minute another there's another one of these that's a turtle why is it why doesn't yeah. it look more like the teenage mutant ninja turtles uh but it's it, yeah it's just a different type of turtle <laughs> but then um i was also confused because i did watch the cartoon and i was expecting to see like why didn't they use uh bebop and rocksteady like two who are like this villainous yeah. creature duo um that's who i was thinking oh and my so, god <laughs> and so yeah having their shadows on the poster maybe it's to like kind of hide that it's not bebop and rocksteady um but i i was reading some trivia on this and because the studio was trying to move it away from the comics and bring it more cartoonish that um the creators of the, the characters they wanted it to be bebop and rocksteady initially but I think yeah. when they were moving towards this more cartoonish thing, they were like, no, we're not going to give you Bebop and Rocksteady. And so they developed these two original characters for the movie. Um, gotcha. Yeah, because yeah, I was thinking in my mind, I was like, I know there's two alternative animals, but I don't remember exactly yeah. what they were. So I was like, is it like one of them like a lion or like, uh, like I thought they were like much more men menacing animals. And so when it revealed, yeah, it was a snapping turtle and the wolf, I was like, oh yeah, that's like... In odd choice and yeah like i don't know they their entire backstory seemed really sad and tragic but they're you know they're just these frankenstein monsters that just get fed this this like chemical and yeah. get like just and like they, like this yeah the, yeah there's like this whole beat of like oh, I, I wanted them to be strong warriors yeah they're like they're literally infants and it sort of it's a nice um little reference and sort of like parallel to like the fact that yeah like the turtles like this whole incident with the turtles happened 15 years ago they keep saying that 15 years ago so yeah like the turtles are still learning and figuring it out and so yeah their whole story with uh the, the other two soko or whatever uh is just yeah really sad to me it feels like damn like they were born into this this world of violence yeah and then like Shredder, Shredder, Shredder immediately wants to just like like eliminate them, just like kill yeah. them. Yeah, no good. Um, yeah, but luckily they get turned back into their re regular forms. Yeah, they get a happy ending. Yeah, they they sort of get to enjoy a little bit of vanilla ice dancing, and they got to eat donuts, which I always remember the donuts looking pretty good as a kid. Yeah. Um, yeah, but the ninja rap. Um, I. I find this interesting because I'm like, is this something that he had pre-prepared? No, I, I think the implication like... is that he's freestyling this and the dance. Yeah, it seems like a, like a really long song, too. I was like, it seems like it's, it gets stretched over this montage. And I was like, you're just saying ninja I rap love, over and over. Like, it is pretty incredible that he's just like, I got to rap about these Ninja Turtles. <laughs> like, yeah. I got to do this. We can't stop the show. 
yeah it's great it, it really just kind of reminds you what era of this movie this is and so yeah i don't know yeah it's yeah i feel like it is uh like a decision sort of made by a, like the boardroom kind of thing where it's like yeah like we need this to be more appealing more fun just more more just kind of sugary and so yeah that's why we get this like dance sequence at the end have you ever seen the cool as ice the vanilla ice movie no i have not right. well it's my pick for next week so oh, <laughs> no no God. no, no, no. Oh, horrible. <laughs> i won't make you do that <laughs> cool as ice i have seen it though it is it is a watch uh he is very cool in that movie it's like a weird um like james dean thing like rebel without a cause but it's vanilla ice okay um let's see i think um one of my favorite moments in this movie though is when kino is trying to be recruited to join the foot clan and there's this guy who comes up and he's like talking to a gang of dudes and he's like hey you know you guys we gotta do a test we gotta do a test with you guys (laughs) (laughs) and (laughs) i love that it's implied that this this dude is he must be an incredible martial artist. Otherwise he wouldn't be the one like interviewing these people that this like very New York, uh, tough guy. He's doing karate kicks and roundhouses and all that. <laughs> I wish we would have gotten more yeah, of him. Knew. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Man, that would, that would have been a little bit nicer. Uh, I feel that way about, yeah, about the way Raphael talks to him. It's like, he's literally one notch away from just being this, this really on the nose parody of this, of New York and, yeah it, i don't know it's 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 a, a very wacky and fun place where you know kind of just imagine new york is a fun place where it's just all slices of pizza and like <laughs> like ninjas running around and stuff and yeah i don't know just teenagers kind of getting recruited into <laughs> to this massive street gang <laughs> i don't know it's just this entire like universe is just so strange to sort of get washed into and like get a little bit more information and lore about yeah, and I think, like, in this movie, this is another thing I'm not crazy about, is it feels like the city is a little bit watered down in this. Like, the presence of New yeah. York is such a character in the first movie, and here it's just, we're clearly shooting on sets and stuff like that, and, I don't know, we spend a lot of time in a junkyard, and... Yeah. We don't get that same yeah. gritty, dirty city vibe. Yeah, I don't know, I, I think... There's, I'm, there's I'm dandelions for, in this movie. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, that is, yeah, it is, it is very bright and vibrant, and uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, it, it works for me. Like, it, like when I was watching this the first time, I was like, watched it the first time and enjoyed it, and then went on Wikipedia and I was like, yeah, this is the one where they don't use their weapons, and I was like, oh yeah, that like didn't even sort of register to me because I think I was just more interested in just learning more about the turtles personalities which i think shines through yeah a lot more in this movie more, yeah. and so and there's like an early part in this movie where like they're inside the mall and i like the, the fight in the mall um i feel like it's a little reference to police story i don't know that's probably not what it is <laughs> but i feel but it, it, just the the way that those set the way that the set is sort of physically reminds me of it uh this like white uh neon lights a lot of glass and stuff and we, yeah, there's this nice little moment where Michelangelo's like he's fighting this one guy is like pull out a yo-yo and just a little like yo-yo trick and I'm like okay like, yeah like he's the young one and the young one is doing something young and youthful in the way that he's tricking this guy so I was like okay like they're they're really sort of I feel like those moments made me sort of appreciate just the the package as a whole so, okay yeah like we get the hacking moment or the computer moment with 
uh, Donatello a little bit later and Raphael is still like rebellious and just kind of wants to do things his own way and be the maverick yeah, of the situation. So, independent. And, yeah, so I didn't get that quite as much in the first one. And so I was like, first one feels... Uh, it's mostly Raph's uh, movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like more Raph, April, and Casey Jones. And so I, I don't know. It's it's a different thing entirely. So this, I don't know, it feels a little bit more like I would appreciate watching this in like upon rewatch because it seems like it's easier to kind of just digest and it isn't as dark and, and moody as the first one. Yeah, not nearly. I mean this has fucking vanilla ice in it. It has them yeah. blasting Shredder with a fucking keytar. <laughs> like Yeah, they do knock him out with the power of music, with yeah. the power of rock and roll, which I think is very different. Versus <laughs> crushing him to death in a garbage <laughs> truck. Yeah. I, I, like there's two very distinct moments. No, I think there's three moments where Shredder, uh, he's putting his hand, he reaches his fist out of the ground and reaches up into the sky. Something happens at the beginning of the movie, and it happens in the end when we get our fake yeah. out, and then it happens one, like one more time. It's like Jesus. Yeah, we do it okay, to confirm we... he's alive, and then we do it to confirm that he's dead. <laughs> yes, yeah, like it's good. Uh... This is, it was this is for children yeah. <laughs> this is for children and we need to like make this very clear um uh, yeah i don't know i also i found it funny slash uh annoying the name of the the chemical is a is it tgfi is it or, <laughs> tgi or no uh, it's tgri uh, yeah so TGIF. It's, <laughs> yeah it's really it's it's fucking so close to that, that I, like, I just, my brain just wants it to be that but yeah it's tgri is the name of this like bright green ooze chemical so. yeah um i think i'm good on tmnt2 any other thoughts gotcha did you get to say what your favorite joke was? I don't know. Oh, my favorite you. joke. Um, so yeah, there's. I like the gag of Mikey. Prete- I think it's Mikey pretending to do the backflips and just like hitting his, clapping his hands yeah. together. And yeah, that, yeah, that is a good thing. Yeah, the whole gag about yeah, go do flips and he like goes pretends and just claps. I think that's pretty clever. And then I also like when they're roaming around looking for Raph at the junkyard. And they get they say like it's quiet oh a little too quiet and they say oh there's Raph a little too Raph <laughs> yeah, that's good uh, yeah clever yeah totally totally satisfying joke yeah there's some there's some good singers in this one there's some there's some there's some good jokes but yeah I think we, the the trade off is a little bit like okay like you're just gonna be getting a, a much more like I say bubbly softer package yeah. as a whole and so. It'll be funnier, but you're gonna lose a lot of that that gritty, that New York grit. Um, yeah, that's it for TMNT two. All right. Well, what have you been watching this week? What have I been watching this week? I finished the first season of Joe Para Talks with you, um, uh, cool, and I'm like cool. halfway through the second season, and I fucking nice. love this show. Like, yeah, I like that. I'm I really want to know what Joe Pair is like in real life because I believe he's doing a character and that this is yeah. a character that's he's been doing for like over a decade, I feel like. Um No, yeah, yeah. He's won like stand-up competitions and stuff from yeah. like 2007 or something like that. Like So it's interesting. Like I wonder, yeah, like what is the divide between who he is in real life versus this character? Because I feel like it has to be like kind of close, like like maybe he's exaggerating a particular part of his own personality. Or is this 
just a complete fabrication is he doing an impression yeah. of someone else he knows like like is it like a paul because like yeah i think of like paul rubens and Wee herman or greg turkington and neil hamburger or um nathan yeah. fielder and nathan fielder <laughs> like yes, uh, yeah. how much is nathan fielder that we see on nathan for you a character versus how he really is um but yeah i i love the character it remind there's it has this quality where it's almost like paddington or something like that where it's just this this <laughs> character who's just like genuinely good enjoys the simple things in life and everyone is accepting of him pretty much uh no one like i don't know it, it's it's only focusing on like the conflicts feel like pretty minor conflicts and i don't know the movie the show does this really special thing where it, it always feels it, it feels like it oftentimes will present this sort of truth and this sort of honest vulnerability where it feels like it pivots from just being like the sitcom to being something that is more about being human so yeah, the, yeah. like the baba o'reilly episode like yeah that episode almost made me cry because like i found it yeah, so yeah. like sweet and when that episode climaxes at and we have him singing the song in front of the church and then people at the church start joining in it was like yeah. this is fucking beautiful television like i'm so glad that this is airing and then um yeah. there's another episode sorry go ahead you want to i was gonna say the fall drive is the one that oh, i feel that way that's the one where he it's the halloween episode and he's like taking the pumpkin out to the to like to the river to like to like you know and this whole thing that he has this whole like friendship with gene and gene like yeah. his wife his, his whole like really funny dynamic where gene's wife just does not like yeah. joe <laughs> <laughs> like and like but gene is joe's like homie and they like do this really strange like really wholesome stuff together like collect rocks or whatever um but yeah like gene tells him this whole thing about like when you carve a jack-o-lantern like you lose a bit of your soul in the bit of this jack-o-lantern so you have to take this jack-o-lantern out and like give it back to nature or something yeah. like that or like and so he like take look, the first time i saw that i was literally i got i was like what am i watching right now like <laughs> yeah. this is like a spiritual like, journey this is for so this. like there's like a weird like poeticism to it yeah yeah it's, it's like the, the cadence of how he taunts what what he's saying but like there are jokes that are woven into it but it's usually very like laid back and nonchalant with the delivery but yeah like it's just like this kind of grandfather kind of like i'm gonna rock you to sleep kind of delivering him describing this fall drive of this pumpkin and like taking this pumpkin to the river to like uh, put it back into nature it was just like so beautiful to me because i was just like this is so absurd but just i don't know yeah that climax was particularly powerful when i first saw it and then like there's a scene where so like he's dating this girl who's a prepper uh and yes. she has concern that he doesn't think about serious things uh and so there's a scene where he joe Perry's a music teacher and he's talking to his students and it and this is one of those things where like the show does this on occasion it's not not too often yeah. where it's yeah they're yeah. interacting with non-actors and it feels like they're just getting a genuine like performances from these non-actors like they're they're not they're not uh they're not reading lines it feels like you're just seeing like a generate a genuine reaction from someone and so he's talking to these kids and he's asking them like what do you think about 
and the kids are like one of the kids is talking about like how one day i'm gonna die and like i think about yeah. my family and about how one day i'm gonna die and it's like it's fucking heartbreaking <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, uh it's such a good show man i'm yeah i love it um yeah i'm really really happy that you're diving into it because I, I just binge watched it because yeah all these episodes are around 11 minutes and it, this is great thing with adult swim and their programming so there's you know, this programming that's really small and short, mm-hmm. like these quick uh, 10, 11 minute programs. And then there's like, you know, you can get something half an hour or a little bit longer. And there's stuff that sort of fits into those slots. But yeah, uh, season two, I think, is really, really interesting. Okay. And yeah, like I like three a lot. I really appreciate like the fact that three is on. I think it's a, a, a fantastic show to watch around this time of year yeah. sort of i think i was watching it last thanksgiving kind of christmas time when like season two was sort of finishing or, or some, some some time around there like mid-season two but yeah it just it's it's great the uh so you watch the animated episode too yeah yeah which is yeah uh, it's great so that's a little like a remix of the uh other episode where he's sort of just talking <laughs> you to sleep yeah. and it's like yeah just it's, it's fun it's wholesome he's so I've heard some people online uh, compare him to like Mr. Rogers for yeah, like, there is a, a Mr. Rogers quality to it too. Um, yeah, but he's a little mischievous. Joe Joe Perry, he has a, a there is a, a through line of he he does like to do. He's not he's not a rebel by any means. I mean, but he yeah. likes to do. He, he likes to sometimes he does things that are. <laughs> yeah, like we see him drink. Like he he yeah. has a girlfriend, so there's like a sexuality that's being conveyed. Um, yeah. And, like, Connor O'Malley is one of the writers and producers on this show. So, like, so I'm, like, recommending this show to everyone. And I feel like I can understand some of, like, what <laughs> Connor O'Malley's bringing to the table being a little much for their sensibilities. But I think it provides, like, a really interesting contrast. Um, oh, yeah. And, like, yeah, definitely. And Yeah, and, like, that dissonance <laughs> between, like, these two different contrasts is, like, oh, there's a lot of comedy to mine from that, you know? Definitely. And I, I don't know, I think they sort of build on that more visually in the second season, but I'm really curious to see what you think about it, because to me, it feels like we have like a meadow, we have like a, a you know, we have a really serene beach scene, families, and then we just have like this like walking kind of like landmine of a character who's like, <laughs> yeah. who like, who just feels very angry. And like the fact that his presence is in the show makes, makes me feel kind of uneasy about just like, <laughs> The fact that he, like he's just like this agent, he can bring chaos. He feels like that just sort of inherently. Because when we first get like our real introduction of him is, I think, at the breakfast is in the breakfast episode where he's like explaining. That's when we get like egg. a sense of his vibe. I think. Yeah, because he, like, he wrote that on the table. Yeah, yeah, he's like slamming on the table and shit. Yeah, I need to win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he's he's okay. great. Um, but yeah, Joe Para. Uh, what have you been watching lately? I uh, want to give a shout out to a few things. Okay, so I saw the French Dispatch. Okay. I went to cool. the the Arenda Theater for once. Once the only place I was playing at, out on this side, and so saw the French Dispatch and really enjoyed it. I wanted to sort of mention the other sort of recent Wes Anderson movies that I, I feel like we're in this. He's in a, a particular period of his career where there's kind of like the early stuff that felt a little bit more like there there was his vibe and his sort of aesthetic was established, but it felt a little bit more scattershot as far as like 
I don't know, just it felt a little bit more, uh, I don't know, random. The stories about families but feel a little bit more random, more, more eclectic. Um, but for this like later stage, Wes Anderson, I don't know what you want to call this, basically everything like after Dar Darjeeling Limited. So we, I, I like thinking of uh, Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Budapest Hotel. I haven't seen Isle of Dogs, Isle of Dogs. but... I wasn't in Isle of Dogs. I found it really forgettable. Yeah, for sure. I think I, that's one I'm interested in seeing because, yeah, the stage of Wes Anderson seems really interesting to me because I feel like he has sort of tapped into something a little bit like he's tapped into his own aesthetic even more and I've gotten more like into the geometry and into just like the the uh the staging yeah. like the sort of like the, the the blocking of everything and being just very like meticulous like tableaus yeah and I think it's beautiful I think like the vibes and sort of the uh the aesthetics sort of match the subject matter in an interesting way like like I saw Moonrise Kingdom when I was out in London on vacation and it was like this it felt like the most like it felt whimsical and I like yeah. fell in love with that movie. I think it was shot like, on sixteen millimeter, right? Yeah, I don't know. And it's just like just the casting and just like just the adventure. It felt very much like an like a woodsy kind of woodland adventure. And I felt that way about the Grand Budapest Hotel, where this feels like a really grand operatic kind of yeah. like World War Two story. And I think you could sort of say the same thing about um the French Dispatch. And the French Dispatch feels like this is like and, and a weird afternoon, like in a cafe, reading a magazine, kind of like chatting with people and kind of like it feels really all over the place, but still it has a through line that is like uh, the, I don't know, this the eccentrism within itself. I don't know how to describe that perfectly, but like, I don't know, it feels like I'm reading like The New Yorker or something like that when I'm like watching this movie where it's just like, I don't know, there's stuff that is going over my head. There's stuff that I am connecting to, like I like the animation aspect of it, like the inclusion of that sort of thing was really was really nice. And I don't know, sort of like you you mentioned in the last episode, like Jeffrey Wright's introduction into the sorry, inclusion into the movie as a different energy. And I sort of, I felt that way too. Yeah. And I was like, Yeah, well, he's kind of like the anchor of this really like lofty kind of movie where it's like sort of bouncing around different time frames and different ideas and you know, after this really um, philosophical, strange middle story with uh, Timothy Chalamet and yeah. him writing this manifesto, it sort of gets grounded in this more like this is a story about kind of like crime and the kidnapping and food and like he has this really beautiful little beat where he's talking about it's like yeah appreciating just like uh, being alone and having a, a solid meal and like just like the it's like the love of sustenance or something he describes it in a way more poetic way than i am but yeah it's like i don't know it's like yeah his inclusion in this movie really fucking solidifies and i, and I hope that he continues to get cast in more wes anderson movies yeah. I think he's perfect it was interesting he's really per perfect for that sort of uh universe and atmosphere I've, but yeah i really enjoyed it yeah i feel like he is more he felt like more human and charismatic than like a lot of the characters are. A lot of the characters feel kind of cartoonish and I don't want to say they're one dimensional, but like they have like a certain mode of operating uh, that feels yeah, a yeah. little out of like uh, inhuman in a way. Um, and I think yeah, that's right. He, his performance, he felt a lot more like down to earth. Yeah. And did you mention that you had like a, a criticism about it or like something that kind of happens in the center that you um like so i'm trying to remember now but like i had so kevin saw it our friend kevin and he was saying yes. that one of the stories really annoyed him 
and I'm guessing yeah, it was yeah. the second one because yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like it's an it has like this intentional bad writing quality to it because it's about a guy who is writing a manifesto and he wants to he wants it to be poetic, but his editor is telling him like you know cut that shit out <laughs> like yeah. And so when we get a lot of his voiceovers. He's bringing that poeticism to his voiceovers, and it's not that great poetry. And I think so. I think it's intentional that it's like this, you know, adolescent who uh, wants to be a visionary or something. Um, and he, yeah, it is an odd relationship as well. To like this love triangle is, yeah. I don't know. I think it's it's I think an homage to this older like French cinema kind of thing where you know it's just it's it's this. Uh, uh, the eight, there is an age gap with this uh, sort of guys and two girl connection between like this revolutionary, like this younger lover and this older editor. And I don't know. I think it's make. I think it's more just kind of making a connection to older French cinema and things like that. Yeah, I think it's. A, I think it's. A, I really liked it. I think it's a great movie. Um, and I think yeah. it's. So I, I heard critics complaining that it was like convoluted or like difficult to follow. Did you get that sense? Um not difficult to follow but like i say there were i feel like there were some moments where things were kind of going over my head I, there is this uh i don't want to say like it it is fast paced but i feel like just the the narration and sort of things are sort of like flowing in a way where it's like it's a lot of stuff kind of yeah. coming at you and so yeah and there's also the visual element of there's like a lot of uh, uh i don't know fuck uh when the frame is split i'm stumbling split over diopter? this terrible not no not not that but when there's like uh, something happening on the left something happening on the right there's like the, this whole thing with like oh the past split screen. <laughs> yeah split screen there it is there there's the magical word they're doing like split screen where there's like there's the past of paris and the present yeah there's like there's doing a lot of things where there's like meals being prepared for people on the left and like stuff like things are happening on the it's right there's some really yeah there's a really great thing where they do like uh these uh i'm forgetting to call my my terminology uh there's a, a panning shot you get a panning shot of like a lot of like uh characters sort of just, like in a freeze frame but they're like uh, like yeah. not frozen fully they're kind of like still like moving a little bit and so i, I like that and yeah i really enjoyed the first story with the like the con concrete masterpiece or whatever and this like the absurdity of that and just yeah uh benicio del toro was a really fantastic just addition to this like wes anderson world and yeah I don't know, there's a lot of stuff to like about it and enjoyed it um so when to mentioned seeing that also i want to just bring up curb your enthusiasm for another time because so, like usually i'm like totally fine with like whatever the show is doing but there's an episode in the season uh that like kind of bothered me where this whole this whole plot involving Larry David accidentally, I think he accidentally stains a Klansman's robe or like he like gets it at like the, the dry cleaner and like it sort of inherits a Klansman's robe and has to like get it clean and like return it to him. And this, this, this I was like, as soon as like this plot like started, I was like, oh, like I think this plot is going to be some fucking stupid shit where like Larry David is like, he feels guilty about fucking up a Klansman's property, so he wants to like give back to him. But like, I don't know. So this is fuck. Like, this is not working for me for whatever reason. Just because like, there's so much, so many moments in this where he's like, essentially being like, oh, like well, he's not that bad of a guy. Like, that's like kind of like the like the baseline like the of the like 
setup of this joke is just like, oh yeah, well like this clansman, he was nice to me, he was polite to me, so therefore I must like yeah. return this like property instead of just being like, no, fuck him, like he's a fascist or whatever, like he's like a piece of yeah. shit, he's a racist, but no, it's like, oh, like, <laughs> like I'm 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 too awkward, like I'm too awkward of Larry David. So like I I would recommend this episode because I think it's so fucking like bizarre and strange yeah, and like it's something to talk about. Like, I, <laughs> yeah, I like it kind of came out of left field because I was like they have like made offhand remarks offhanded remarks to the pandemic and uh, uh, coronavirus and stuff there's like one coronavirus and the most uh, coronavirus joke in the most recent episode but besides that they haven't they really haven't mentioned the same with insecure like there, there's been some offhand remarks to it but they, no one's ever said like covid or uh quarantine or anything yeah. like that they've sort of just like just let's just all just dance around it and skip it basically because i but, think yeah and, a lot of people probably don't want to fucking <laughs> deal for, with yeah yeah for proper reason yeah it's like we all have collectively yeah, have we've all been acknowledged there. we're still there yeah, we've acknowledged, <laughs> yeah, we, we've acknowledged that it's terrible yeah. and it's not fun and so we want our escapism to not fully reflect yeah. that and so i get that but i was like okay if we're gonna have larry david in like our like modern time dealing with stuff i, I don't know there you, you have one episode where a character is like a a fucking uh, sanitizer hoarder or whatever. So you have like that as like a joke and a punchline. But like I don't know <laughs> him inheriting a clansman robe to like <laughs> to feel like too guilty to like to, like, to, like, to just throw in the fucking. Trash and it's like they could have just like, <laughs> they could have just made it like he went to the dry cleaners. There was a mix up. The clansman got his clothes. He got the clansman clothes. The clansman was like, "Well, I'm not giving your stuff back unless you you know clean this off or whatever." And then we yeah. we can explore the uh, conflict of like him you know helping a clansman out for a purely selfish reason which is why he wants he wants his clothes back um yeah and everyone yeah, feels disgusted with him like <laughs> yeah i don't know there's different ways to do it but i i don't know the way that the the episode did it i wasn't really yeah, happy because with it's trying like, to humanize know. a guy instead of from what it sounds like yeah yeah i would i don't know i would recommend visiting that episode and sort of giving it a shot and getting your opinion on it because like i was like what the fuck am i watching because i was like i don't know larry is usually my my homie and i'm rooting (laughs) for you but in this moment i was like this is something i i felt really awkward with um also uh lastly i recently got a ps5 i've been playing newer games and hopping on uh, a lot of resident evil village which i've been enjoying quite a bit um sort of working my way through that but i've also played a little bit of a game by the name of uh, call of duty black ops cold war and this game i think this game is worth mentioning because this is the one that sort of got a little bit of reagan right yes yes (laughs) this is one that got pressed last year because like i was playing this and i was like wait a second this is the one where like reagan is like giving you the missions like the cutscenes happening badass you know soldier guys look at this like round table and then like they turn in like a very very accurate looking like ronald reagan like comes in and i was like this is like i was like oh shit like i i spent money on the wrong on the wrong on the wrong no literally like I swear to God, they're like playing like Fortunate Son. You're inside the Apaches. You're okay. flying over Vietnam, and you're like shooting, uh, shooting down people in the Viet- like Vietnamese people, like in Viet Cong. And this is like, this is like so photorealistically accurate. It feels so how, accurate. Like, this feels so wrong and disgusting. This is that the I first time that this. they've been like, yeah, we're just gonna have you shoot innocent people in our video game. 
and then you can go play zombie horde mode after like they want to be taken seriously by like having all this weighty material in their campaign but then they're like you know you can buy a, a, I don't know, different camo colors for your knives and. <laughs> yeah, it's fucked up. Yeah, because I was just like, damn it! I was like, I like I would like I have been able to turn my brain off for playing these games in the past. Like, there's this whole famous thing in Modern Warfare Two, the mission uh, No Russian, where you yeah. like are you walk into an airport lobby and you're Fucking on this team of terrorists yeah. and you just uh, mow down, yeah, mow down a whole bunch of innocent people and it, like they give you the option to skip it in the beginning yeah. of a game, but usually if you're a dumb teenager or young person, you're like, fuck it, I want to play it. <laughs> yeah. so I want to enjoy it and see what this I is. I was just talking to friends about that and how it's like I had two different friends play it where one of them was trying to get through the level without firing a shot because they thought there was going to be yeah. some reward at the end or something. And the yeah, other one, yeah. basically as soon as the opening cutscene ended, they, they were like the first person to start shooting. Me. <laughs> God damn it. That's great. Yeah. For yeah. Call of Duty. It's just like, I've like, I've given so much money to this franchise over the course of my gaming adult life and so it's just like this was the first time i was like fuck i feel kind of bad about yeah, this like this doing? is like kind of this is kind of like cutting a little too close this just feels so fucking real yeah, that what is the value know, of like... <laughs> so yeah i've been continuing to play <laughs> uh no i've been mostly just playing uh resident evil resident evil is a lot of fun and they've i think they did a, a really good job with sort of expanding on the ideas of seven it's a little more uh anime over the top cartoony than its predecessor but i think it works and it's it's been fun are you into the souls games at all no not really uh i thought they were a little too i don't know just a really kind of the, the curve the difficulty curve is hard to yeah. sort of get into and and i know there is a really good bit of satisfaction that comes with learning those things and i don't know i i i, I prefer to play video games where you commit yeah, work not... so, <laughs> yeah <laughs> obviously uh, something lighter you know <laughs> um i've been playing so much demon souls dude i'm so into it i i took a long break because i got my ass kicked by an enemy and then i turned it back on it turns out oh i could just get back to where i was within five minutes <laughs> um like i thought i had lost like a good like half hour progress and it's like oh no i could just get back to where i was pretty quickly that's good and so since then i've been hooked on it and watching all the footage for Elden Ring, dude, I, it's like the first game I've pre-ordered in a while. Like, I am so oh, nice. ready for Elden Ring. Uh, pre-order. Yeah, it looks so fucking good. It looks like it could be like the best game, <laughs> like ever. <laughs> like, I am so excited for it. See, so, yeah, I I don't know much about it. Is this the Lord of the Rings? No, it's it's huh? it's another from software game. So it's it's basically oh, Dark Souls okay. Four. Uh, okay, so, okay. So it's um. A collaboration between, I forget what the head guy, the, the person behind Dark Souls, I forget what their name is, but it's a collaboration between him and George R. R. Martin, where they had George R. 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 Martin write, like, do, like, all of the world building and, like, write us this fantasy world and, like, uh, give us, like, some lore, you know? And then they, oh, they okay. took that and then they just, like, started developing creatures and developed a gang, a game all around this, like, world that George R. R. Martin created. And, like, oh, uh, yeah. The combat is basically Dark Souls, but it's open world. And so you can like summon a horse and then you're riding a horse around like and uh, it's I think one of the weird things about it is wow. it's not like like a lot of open world games like like Breath of the Wild or something like that. 
they have it's not just fighting <laughs> breath of the wild has yeah, like a bunch yeah. of puzzles and stuff you could solve it has like uh, environmental uh interaction and yeah the terrain is a big part of it yeah. climbing and swimming and, and like uh but the souls games it's pretty much just combat like learning how to navigate yeah. these enemies um and so i i'm hoping they will find a way to make sure that that doesn't get exhausting um like add some sort of variety to like the open world setting but they've already made three fucking dark souls games and demon souls yeah. and people are still not tired of it i i've played probably over 100 hours between dark souls and demon souls and i'm still digging it so yeah this looks great <laughs> this looks awesome and usually i'm i'm kind of against the whole open world for the sake of open world thing because you get a, a lot of emptiness and a lot of i don't know just kind of just backtracking yeah a lot of fluff like missions and shit clear out this yeah you know bandit uh i don't know encampment whatever but uh, yeah or the the classic like i had this issue with uh red dead 2 where they like sent you to one town like on this side of the map and then the, that mission is like okay now you just go to the other side of this map yeah. and sort of, it's always kind of just really far displacement and that sort of just kind of got to me but i mean at least like red dead 2 there's it's like also, random events that happen on the way and shit to add some oh yeah and also yeah also those places that you're going to are just filled with stuff to do that it could just be like it's it, there's just too much stuff to do in red dead where it's like okay like i walked halfway across the map and now i can hunt over here i can gamble over here yeah. i can you know like there's five different missions that i can do over here there's random encounters over here. there's yeah. all sorts of shit that sort of spawns from that one decision which i think is great yeah it's like getting yeah. from one place to the other can be good it's just you got to have interesting shit happen along the way it's like that's why i didn't like gta 5 it's like every yeah. mission in that game is just like get in a car listen to some dialogue drive from point a to point b and then yeah, some lackluster um, shooting when you get to your destination yeah and i feel like also with five the comedy got really forced and so they're just doing this trevor is just so grating by the time that game is over and then just like just the fbi it's just their, their whole thing it's just i don't know it's just it's just too, much. It's just too <laughs> yeah it's just it's just too fucking much where it's just like yeah like i i, I get when they sort of do something a little bit more focused like like four is a bit more like okay like eastern european kind of gangster vibes or like San Andreas or Vice City. Uh, I'm curious about the remaster, the, the full remake. It's, uh, getting yeah. some it's getting mixed reviews. Well, they Rockstar apologized and re-released the original versions for download on PC. Like oh, damn. they had taken, yeah, that. they had taken the original versions off of like storefronts, and they were like, you know what, we're gonna bring it back. <laughs> and like, if you bought the definitive edition, we'll give you the original copies for free too. That's okay. That's sort of helpful, yeah. but yeah, yeah, changing a lot of the graphics and a lot of the soundtrack gets gutted, and it's not a good sell. It's hard to <laughs> to get behind that. But yeah, I, I don't know. Rockstar they are known for making masterpieces and incredible experiences, but sometimes I can be like, okay, like just don't send me all the way across this map, please. <laughs> just let me just do something local. Right. All right. Cool. Um, so it is your choice. Oh, fuck. For next oh week. yeah, my choice for next week. <laughs> so you chose Dick Tracy as like mm -hmm. another 90s uh comic book movie. 
So what I'm going to do uh, is choose not a not a comic book movie, but a superhero movie. I'm going to choose Sam Raimi's Dark Man. Uh, have you seen oh, Dark Man? Yes, it's actually on my shelf. That is one oh, of the, really? the few films. Yeah, that I've. Yeah, I I like Dark Man. I like. I'm looking forward to a bunch of shows. I I my dad re- is a big fan of it, and I know I saw it as a kid, but I do not remember it. And I've been meaning to rewatch it for a long time. So yeah, next week. It's good. Yeah, Dark Man, sweet Liam Neeson. Yeah. Sam Raimi. racist Liam Neeson. <laughs> Who, like, pisses on himself in public and shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, man, it's going to be good. I, I, I do enjoy that movie. Uh, haven't seen it in a few years, but, yeah, it's good. All right. Okay, well, that'll be 62. This was episode 61. If you would like to contact us, you can email us, vaguezonepod at gmail.com. If you would like to tweet at us, you can hit us up on Twitter, at Vague Zone, if you have questions, comments, concerns, or movie suggestions, franchise suggestions, we're almost done with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. If you would like us to watch another '90s franchise movie, like I don't know, Three Ninjas or something like that, you know, we might have to oh <laughs> go through and watch all, all the all the ninja movies. Um, yeah, this has been episode sixty-one. Uh, I'm Thomas. And I am Daniel. We'll catch you on the next one. Right. With the power of the Ninja Turtle base. Iceman, you know I'm not playing.